Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Welcome back to Health Impact. I'm Megan Antonelli, your host, and today I have a guest who needs no introduction. Peter Yesowich is a visionary figure who has made an indelible mark on marketing, healthcare, and hospitality, three things I care deeply about. <laughs> As chairman of the Hospitable Healthcare Partners, he's led a consultancy that bridges healthcare and hospitality, enhancing the patient experience with decades of experience and expertise. Peter has shaped programs for iconic brands like Fairmont and Disney and throughout his career. He's transformed healthcare as Chief Growth Officer at Cancer Treatment Centers for Amer- of America. And a master in the field, he's co-authored several books and that and is also a visiting associate professor at Cornell. His journey from Cornell to, to Yale to Stanford has shaped marketing, healthcare, and hospitality. And we're honored to have him here today to talk to us about his new book, Hospitable healthcare, just what the patient ordered. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Delighted to be here, Megan. Thank you. So tell our audience a little bit about your background, which is unique coming from, you know, Disney all the way to healthcare to CTCA. And tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, let me turn the clock back. I when I finished school, have a doctorate in psychology and finished school, went into the marketing business right away. Service marketing and the hospitality business, as you mentioned, had a wonderful run there for 30 plus years, working with uh, brand names that your listeners would recognize. And then in the late 90s, I was invited to practice uh, some of that craft on behalf of a healthcare company, as you mentioned, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, uh, because the chairman of the company at, at the time was a believer in the power of hospitality as a, as a way to complement the clinical expertise of the organization to help patients Uh, fight their disease. And obviously in that business, it was oncology. Most of the patients were uh, diagnosed with an advanced stage or a complex uh, cancer. So I did that for 10 years. I hung up the cleats, so to speak, in the traditional marketing business. And I put a healthcare hat on. I learned so much about not just the business of medicine, but the practice of medicine as it relates to oncology. And it really, it served to allow me to kind of bear witness to what inspired this book, which is the importance of hospitality and the delivery of care and how that impacts patients. Yeah, I think with oncology so much so because they're coming, you know, they have to come back and, you know, so many times for treatment. I mean, that's one of the, you know, really the most arduous things to go through. So I imagine, you know, I can see why that would inspire. Tell me a little bit about the specifics there in terms of where you felt the need was, and really what some of those principles of hospitality that you were able to apply. Sure. You know, one of the things that, that I observed was the very thoughtful way that at, at CTCA, they really anticipated the level of anxiety that patients would bring to their engagement, you know, from the moment that the first phone call came in. And first thing I did, actually, the first day that I joined CTCA, I, I went to the call center, I put on a headset, and for about eight hours, I just listened to conversations that were coming in over the wire. And it was uh, amazing to me to listen to the, the sense of anxiety, the desire for information, guidance, and so forth that was coming from, you know, prospective patients and then 
and how the incredibly well-trained counselors they had there would respond to those questions. But that was just the beginning. And then the first time I entered a hospital, it felt like I was walking into the lobby of a JW Marriott hotel. You know, there was no clinical white, you know, color palette. Uh, it was all neutral tones. There was a grand piano in the lobby uh, and, uh, you know, very soothing music, a wonderful aquarium. The lighting was adjusted appropriately. There was no front desk. You were greeted personally by a, uh, a concierge. I mean, the whole experience was completely different. And, and even right down to the, the meals in the restaurant, to the accommodations for loved ones that were there with patients who were undergoing treatment. And it was a culture that was born of an idea that the chairman had, and this was brilliant, and he called it the mother standard. And what that meant was that every employee of the organization, from a van driver to a, to a surgeon, was thoroughly tested to live the mother standard, and that was uh, that they would deliver a level of care that would be uh, appropriate for your mother in the event she were to get a cancer diagnosis. And they lived that. And anyway, I observed that for 10 years. Uh, I, I watched the impact that had. Uh, I was uh, privileged to ghost uh, uh, many rounds with uh, clinicians, uh, and I would listen to conversations with patients, many of which were extremely difficult conversations that were uh, undertaken. But I witnessed firsthand what the uh, hospitality aspects of care delivery did to allow them to receive that care in, in as positive a way as possible. Mm -hmm. That's great. I, you know, I, we've talked about patient experience and the importance of that so many times. And I think that listening and that active participation of what's happening on in the floor, in the rooms with the patient is so important. And it sounds like at CTCA, they had you know, that was there, that that feeling that that culture was there before you got there. Correct. So what made it, you know, what made it different? And then what is it that other organizations are missing? Because needless to say, that is not the uh, replicable experience everywhere. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful question. You know, I've, I've thought long and hard about that. And I think the easiest way to answer that is at CTCA, everything was was thought about and acted upon from the point of view of the patient. You know, and I think that sounds like, you know, you know, pretty mundane because you hear that all the time in patient experience, but they actually live that. Whereas in most other healthcare experiences, everything is thought about uh, and viewed through the, the lens of the provider. It's completely different. You know, when you think about that. So the provider, you know, determines when you can come in. The provider will tell you where to sit. The provider will, you know, dictate all of the aspects of your care, naturally in the what they believe to be in the best interest of the patient. But what they fail to recognize is that patients don't necessarily agree with their approach. They bring, you know, to the engagement different levels of understanding, knowledge, anxiety expectation, you know, all those kinds of things. And unless those are accommodated individually by the provider, what happens is there's generally misalignment. You know, it starts with, you know, you and I were talking about earlier when I asked people, you know, who say, oh, it's kind of an interesting book. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have, have you personally ever had a healthcare experience that disappointed you or went wrong? And everybody's head nods, you know, vigorously. And I say, well, let me try this on. I'll bet that it had nothing to do with the clinical outcome. They say, you know, you're right. I said, I bet it had everything to do 
with the way the care was delivered. And that starts the conversation. They say, you know, if the provider had just kind of kind of reversed the focus of this and say, look at this through the lens of the patient, not through the process of the provider, it might take you to a different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, you know, and having hosted many discussions around patient experience and what can be done and bringing the patient to the table for those conversations too, right? right? Getting that feedback. And of course, now I think it is pretty standard. You get that feedback survey, but it wasn't always. And what are they doing it other than, you know, scoring and all of that? Are they really responding to it? I guess, what are some of your, you know, key ways that organizations can do that? Especially when- I think we, we've talked a lot also about mm-hmm. provider burnout and physician burnout and clinician sure. burnout. They're overworked. Their hospitals are under-resourced. You know, it is not Disney. It is a different experience. You come with a right. whole set of different expectations. Right. So what is it that, you know, what are some of the things that hospitals can really well, do? Well, let, yeah, let me tell you, as I mentioned, you know, we looked at 22 points of service engagement that are common to both healthcare and hospitality. Ran all the analytics, and then out the back end have come kind of five themes. I'll just mention them very quickly. These are the the themes that are the the biggest deficits, right? In the patients tell us in the delivery of of care, healthcare versus hospitality. The number one uh, theme and the source of this kind of dissatisfaction deficit. This probably will come as no surprise to you and to your listeners is not knowing or understanding the cost of the service before it's provided. And if you think about that, you know, certainly more often than not, when people uh, present for any kind of healthcare service, it's more an an exception than the rule that they're told what it's going to cost. And obviously we could spend a fair amount of time talking about the disappointment and surprise that occurs after the fact. And, you know, when I share that again with healthcare administrators, they say, well, you know, it's very difficult, uh, you know, to do that. How could we fix that? I said, well, you know, as a provider, generally the kind of the range of what the the cost of that care delivery is going to be, because you have contracts, right, with uh, providers and with insurance companies and so forth. But rarely is that disclosed. And one of the suggestions we make in the book, a little bit controversial, but I think it makes a lot of sense, is when healthcare providers confirm appointments, they should also, with that confirmation, send a pro forma estimate what the cost of the care is going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, that could take us off into a different conversation, but that addresses the first kind of deficit. Second deficit, uh, not surprisingly, is that healthcare patients generally told us they don't feel that they're appreciated for their business. Now, that kind of takes it out of the realm of really the, the clinical aspect of it, but they're saying, hey, we're customers too. And, you know, and we patronize a hotel or resort or restaurant, you know, very frequently our staff, you know, thanking us for our business. And generally that's not the case. You know, when, at least that's what consumers tell us when they consume healthcare and believe it or not, that's the second kind of source of this kind of deficit in in the delivery of care. The third area that came out of all the research was their disappointment with the whole uh, reception and the arrival experience in the arrival environment, and whether or not the arrival experience is welcoming. Do people feel welcomed? You know, we all had jokes about you know showing up and we're looking through the you know the plastic divider, and there may be some rear eye contact as the receptionist is focused on the computer screen, and then you're handed the dreaded clipboard. 
you know, and you've got to go sit down and fill out the, and you say, wait a minute, I just filled that out three months ago when I was here. We always understand it, but we need to have you do that again. Okay. Anyway, so that whole experience. And then whether or not the people they interact with there make them feel welcome or make them feel like they're genuinely interested in serving them. That's a training problem. Fourth theme, logistics. We all have a story about trying to book an appointment that's been a headbanger, right? Where we say, gee, you know, well, sorry, we can't accommodate. Just today, I had an example of, was trying to get an appointment with a dermatologist. And I was told, well, our dermatologists are very busy, nothing available for four months. And I thought to myself, four months, that's incredible. I said, well, why don't we start this way? Why don't you tell me what is available, and then I'll tell you whether or not I can accommodate that. And, and so, not to be a smart guy, but the whole idea is if you kind of turn this around and say, okay, why don't you tell us what you would like, and let's see if we can accommodate that. Now, we may not be able to do that. Now, an interesting phenomenon, I don't know if this is true where you live, um, Megan, but here where I live uh, in South Florida, we now see lots of advertisements for same or next day appointments. Mm -hmm. And you say, gee, that's kind of interesting. How is that possible? Particularly for really complicated you know, diseases like cancer, you know, same day appointments. Well, what they're doing is they're deconstructing the appointment. So you may not see the oncologist the same day or tomorrow, but what you would see is an intake nurse who would accommodate all of the preparation that's necessary for you to have a really constructive discussion with the oncologist. You know, it's interesting, even if you have to wait, you know, that six to eight weeks to see the oncologist, the patient experience is so much more positive because they've had at least within 24, 48 hours an opportunity to express their concerns, share their medical records, whatever it might be. Anyway, so that whole service logistics issue. And then finally, the, the fifth category is uh, service assessment and recovery from bad service. Uh, you know, if you have a horrible anniversary dinner in a restaurant, what happens? You know, you're going to get complimentary dessert and cordial. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Maybe they'll take the entree off your bill. If you have a bad night in a hotel, they say, well, tell us what happened. The front desk clerk is the one that will go ahead and give you the credit. Right. You got a problem with a with a healthcare you know, procedure that went wrong. What happens then when you try to dispute that? Well, you go into a black hole. Right. right. And you may in involve with some kind of extended debate uh, with the insurance company. Anyway, we all know the outcome of that. Right. Uh, why? Why? do? Why does that happen? Well, we could talk for hours about that too. But let's right. find deficit. And I think no. so. That last one and that first one, where you get into some of the, you know, elements of the problems that are sort of out of the control of the health system because you are involving the insurance and the coverage. Right. However, I mean, to your point, like with cost, when I go to my dentist or my oral surgeon or my orthodontist, they know and they are aware that people kind of price shop because mm -hmm. they know that the coverage is, you know, we all know that our coverage is, sure. isn't going to be full. So they do all that stuff for us, right? They contact the insurer and they say, okay, this is going to cost this and this is going to cost that. Right. And, you know, and, and they're able to do it. So that service is part of what they provide knowing that there's, you know, that choice is being made. And I think, you know, with elective care and non-emergent care, it is a lot easier, of course, and, and health systems, you know, can certainly get that. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about technology and automation, and these are things that 
you know, those contracts are signed. The, you know, it's not like that, you know, we're negotiating, you know, new contracts with a payer every time someone walks in the door. Yeah. And the reality so, is that, you know, for most of, most, if not all of those elective procedures, that there is a prior approval that is given by the insurance company, you know, before the appointment is confirmed. So, you know, when I make that suggestion to providers, they say, well, you know, you can't do that because we don't know what we're going to find when we get in there. I said, I understand that. So you do a pro forma estimate with the disclaimer that the, the range estimate that you've been given is subject to change based on tests that need to be conducted, right. uh, the examination and so forth. And I think just giving patients that, that, that preliminary look at what the cost might be, according to our work, would go a long way toward resolving the deficit, the number one deficit that they tell us they have in, in the consumption of healthcare, which is not knowing the cost or not understanding the bill. Right. And what's your recommendation to health systems in terms of how to do this? Do you tell them, you know, start with, you know, start with the finance department or do you start, you know, because it sounds like at CT, it was a culture of service that they built in across the organization. Correct. Correct. But some organizations may not have the resources to do that. What are the, you know, what are your sort of best practices or advice? Yeah, that's a great question. And and it's a complicated answer, but it requires the, you know, the integration of, first of all, a commitment from senior management that says, we believe patients have a right to know and that we want to, to the best of our ability, want to give them that. By the way, you know that uh, the proclamation that uh, Trump administration endorsed back in 21 about hospitals having to publish now the the prices for 300 common procedures, you know, on their websites. And even as of last week, press reports in, in the healthcare trades is a lot of hospitals are still not compliant with that. You're still fighting it, you know, because the idea is, you know, we've all read stories about, you know, people who shop a, an MRI or people who shop a colonoscopy, you know, and they find these incredibly wide variances in prices. Well, the whole idea is the providers know what it's going to cost them to, within reason, you know, to deliver that care. They just don't disclose it. So my answer to your question is you do a pro forma estimate with a range, which is known at the time the appointment is confirmed because an approval was given to see the patient mm-hmm. with a disclaimer that says, you know, this is subject to change based on, and again, it's not going to be precise, but it's going to be probably in the ballpark. And, and that goes a long way toward helping patients understand to help them make a decision, you know, as to what it is they want to do. And it, what it does is it minimizes the risk associated with the unpleasant experience after the fact of, you know, getting a bill that you don't understand or one that you want to dispute. And, you know, the whole other thing that, that we looked at, which will in, uh, be intriguing to you, is the whole concept from hospitality of a performance guarantee. You know, and years ago, Holiday Inn was the first one to say the you know best surprise is no surprise. So if you stayed with them for a night, you didn't like it, they say your stay was for free. So we say, is that applicable to healthcare? And as it turns out, there's one hospital system in the country, it's in Pennsylvania, that uh, has a program called Proven Experience. It's the Geisinger Health System. It started a couple of years ago. And very progressive thinking. And they say, well, you know what? As a patient, if you have an experience with us that is unsatisfactory, now it's not the clinical outcome, but it's all of the elements of care delivery. Unsatisfactory. You can express that dissatisfaction to a patient advocate. And it's the patient advocate, by the way, not somebody sitting in the accounting office who renders the decision. 
And if they determine that the grievance was legitimate, then what, guess what? Then they'll refund your copay. So you don't have to pay for them. And we thought, wow, that's really an interesting idea. Why isn't it more health systems don't pursue that? Right. Because that's a testament to their belief in their own credential, you know, that yeah. they really do. Sure. Anyway, that's so amazing. there's a lot of good stuff in the book on, yeah. on some no, of those I'm, principles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And it is, I mean, it's kind of in this, I mean, the discussion of cost transparency has been a long one and, and hospitals are so slow to come to the table with those prices as, you know, uh, and, and if you think about the service and the, what you get and, you know, whether it's airlines you know, which are notoriously not the great greatest in front of or service, but Ritz Carlton to, you know, Starbucks, right? I mean, really? the cost is there. It's transparent. You know, it's not, and it does reduce your anxiety, right? You know that it's not, you know, you're not going to get this big bill at the end. Whereas when you go to a restaurant and the prices aren't on the menu, you're right. always a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's really interesting. One of the things that that um, has accelerated the growth of the hospitality industry that we still don't see in healthcare is this whole concept of uh, yield management and pricing. And, you know, the whole idea is that, as you know, when you go online to book a hotel room, you have a choice as to when you want to go because the prices are different, uh, which day of the week, you know, uh, which room you want. In the airline business, you have choices between different times of day, where you want to sit and all those kinds of things. In healthcare, you have no choice. And we, we ask the question, well, why is that? Wouldn't it make more sense? If, you know, healthcare consumers had some element of choice so they could decide, well, I'll go in for a scan on a Saturday morning, not a Tuesday morning, if I can get a 10% discount or something, you know, so the whole, that's a whole revolutionary thinking around that as well. Right, right. That would be amazing. Yeah. No, and I, I think, you know, choice, transparency, and then the elements of experience that you talked about, I think in some cases, some of the health systems are even overcompensating because they aren't able, they feel that they're not able to impact the transparency or the cost and that they don't have total control over that. So they overcompensate with respect to the the experience and in terms of the grand piano and all of that. I mean, it, you know, I think it does make a difference when you walk in and you feel that. But, and then, you know, as you, you know, we've talked a little bit about competition, you know, I mean, this environment is changing. It's not just, you know, which cancer hospital are you going to go to or which ER are you going to go to based on times, but it's, are we going to even leave our home for the care that we need? So right. what are your conversations with folks about, you know, about that shaping? Yeah. Too? Well, you know, that's one thing that we say kind of looms on the horizon that we think is going to accelerate a lot of what we advocate in the book. And that is uh, transparent, transparency and pricing, as we've just discussed, number one, which is not only being driven by consumer choice, but it's being legislated, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago. And I think we're going to see more of that, number one. But number two, if you think about the architecture of the healthcare industry, it's primarily a lot of independents and local and regional providers. Uh, that's the way the hospitality business began back in the 60s. And now, as you know, there are probably four or five kind of very large holding companies that dominate the landscape. They have different brands, but they dominate the landscape. And the common kind of thread in all of that is their loyalty programs. So if you think about Hilton has something called Honors and Marriott has something called Bonvoy. So it doesn't matter if you stay at a residence in or a Marriott or JW Marriott, that program is available in all those locations. And that's designed to generate repeat patronage. That was driven by competition, the need to do that. And we think that the healthcare industry is rapidly approaching that point in time 
where the same thinking is going to apply. And that is as more and more hospital systems acquire others, as hospitals acquire physicians' practices, and there's this consolidation underway, the issue of competition is really going to start to percolate. And that's where this whole concept of the patient experience becomes more than a nice thing to talk about because that news is going to spread like wildfire on social media and other places, and patients are going to exercise that choice. And all of a sudden, the dimension of patient experience becomes a competitive advantage, you know, for providers because of the competition. Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, no one wants to be a frequent flyer, but as we shift the, you know, know, when we always say how healthcare is not meant to be a sick care system, we need to switch that. And if we switch it to this, what it needs to be, if we evolve in the right direction, whereas a preventative care, you know, and a care management, you know, program and platform, then those types of rewards and, you know, frequent flyer miles, if you will, actually, you know, start to pay up, right? Because and that's a very controversial idea. You know, when I discuss that with with more traditional healthcare providers, and they, I could tell from their body language that they get kind of upset when I say that. But I said, just think about this. You know, not only did the consolidation of hospitality contribute to its growth, but the other was the philosophy that that you could identify groups of in that example, customers that shared different value systems. And once you did that, you could create programs that would recognize that. So the the whole thesis was, as long as you treated everybody the same way, you could serve them differently, right? So you could have them check in a different line. You know, you could have them stay on a different floor. You could have them pick their seat first. You know, you have more overhead bin space, you know, and they say, you know what? People accept that. And they say, well, I don't need all that bin space, but I want a cheaper ticket. You know, and you say, okay, well, so the whole idea is that as long as you treat them, they all get the same quality of the meal and security in the airport, but you can serve them differently. Now, that's a radical idea in healthcare, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we think it's an idea that you're going to see begin to emerge because you already are with concepts like concierge medicine, for example. Right, right. People are paying Uh, for that already, just not, you know, maybe your regular, right. Yeah. Absolutely. But even, you know, and, you know, the, the comment that I typically get when I introduce that is you say, well, you know, you can't provide those kinds of inducements because it's against the law. And I said, well, I understand it's against the law if it's financially based for Medicare and Medicaid. I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is that you might want to identify and reward people who say are more interested in, say, nutrition, you know, as it relates to their well-being. And you invite them to attend lectures on how to prepare food in a more healthy fashion, how to shop healthy. You know, how to, you know, I, there are all kinds of educational right. programs. That Ways enhance to do their it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be financial, but it can be right. educational to enhance their well-being. Right. Yeah. Or even incentivizing. I was talking to Dr. Gita Nair this morning, actually, who she's recently written a book as well. And, you know, about misinformation and mm-hmm. how the marketing and patient information piece of the health system needs to, you know, improve, basically. Right. You know, that they're right. not doing enough to advocate you know, sort of the truth and the science behind the medicine that they they need to preach and that, you know, that there there's an opportunity there. And to some extent, it's like rewarding your patients or, you know, even the community by having them engage in some of these types of educational right. activities, right? right? So that you right. have, so you increase literacy, you know, and healthcare literacy within the communities without, you know, by giving those types of, you know, 
moderate incentives, whatever they may be. Yeah, that's a fascinating question and obviously a looming problem, you know, and and, uh, as it relates to, you know, the accuracy and the veracity of, you know, what people find on these online reviews and so forth. And, And I think healthcare can learn a lot from hospitality by looking at how they've tried to deal with this. Because, they, you know, for years they've been dealing with things like false reviews and, and critiques and, you know, and we don't see a lot of that in healthcare right now. I suspect we will as competition becomes more prominent, but uh, you're absolutely right. That's a, that's the critical issue. All the more reason why, you know, transparency is critical because the truth has a way to out, you know, now, now we've got another thing to deal with this whole AI situation. But it's a very critical question. And, and I agree with that. And I certainly endorse the need for accuracy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's, you know, it, it is a, it's a brave new world out there in terms of that. Tell me a little bit, I mean, as you, I'm sure, watch hospitality closely and that, you know, it has changed, right? I mean, right. that consolidation that's happened, what are the top things that they're doing right that maybe healthcare is nowhere even near yet, but should sure. be thinking about? <laughs> a great question. Number one is hospitality prepares for guest arrival. Healthcare doesn't. What does that mean? I sign up for a program. I disclose all my information, where I live, my credit card, and so forth. So when I show up, they don't have to ask me 10 questions that I got to fill out every time I show up. And by the way, if I show up in Hermosa Beach, I don't. they don't need to ask me questions there if I show up in Dallas or if I show up in Miami. It's all in the system, right? Right. Healthcare providers just don't do that. The other is this whole concept of understanding my personal preferences. The Again, I'll go back to the hospitality business. They know that I like a high room away from the elevators and I like uh, I like a certain type of pillow, right? That's all in my record. So they don't have to ask me that every time I show up. They can anticipate that. Now, unfortunately, in healthcare, they got to ask me that every time because they haven't thought ahead to create these, what we call CRM programs, customer relationship management programs, the databases that basically record preferences. And and people are more than happy to disclose that information if it's confidential and treated as confidential, if it will facilitate their consumption. And hospitality does that very well to the point where you don't even have to stop at the front desk to give your credit card to check out. You just walk out. You know, and and everything works beautifully. Try that in a hospital. Right. (laughs) I know. We don't really talk about discharge of the hospital. It's often the most painful. And that's when they're leaving. You'd think you'd want at least that to make them happy, sending them on their way. But Well, we go in the book, we go through those five. We have a model in the book we call the payer model. You get a kick out of this. It's uh, when I say payer, most people in healthcare say, "Oh, P A Y L R," and their heads turn. I said, "No, it's P A E R," and the P stands for prepare. The A is to anticipate. The E is the first E is engagement. The second E is evaluation, and the R is reward. So we have a model in the book, which we've introduced in five steps, and for each of them, we have very specific activities, Megan, that answer the question you just asked, which is well. How is it different in hospitality and things that we think healthcare providers could do to, to really improve the patient experience? Well, that's great. That's perfect. Well, tell, tell our audience a little bit how to reach you and how to find the book. Uh, very simple. Go to Amazon.com perfect. and Google hospitable healthcare. A lot of people say, well, it's hospital healthcare. No, it's hospitable healthcare. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, they finally get the 
because it's an oxymoron, right? For a lot of people, <laughs> right? They say, oh, I finally got it. I finally got it. Yeah. yeah go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, it's on all of those. Or if you want a little more information before you might order the book, go to hospitablehealthcare.com. We have a website up that gives you a couple of data points, got some great videos in there from healthcare providers who are at the top of their game and hospitality people at the top of their game. And it's got our payer model in there too. So you can take a look at that as well. Hospitablehealthcare.com. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Peter. That was great. And I look forward to seeing you hopefully on, on stage in person sometime soon. It'll be a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.